Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D&D adventure. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast, where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And today, we're bringing the Blue Hedgehog back in and talking about one of the first 3D adventures that was brought to the Sonic universe. Now, if we're talking today's standards, I know the Sonic universe in terms of 3D is either pretty good and memorable or pretty bad and memorable. Those are kind of the two that you get in the Sonic universe now. But today we're going to be taking a look at the first in Sonic Adventure. Yeah, such a shame for where this series has kind of gone because these games were so much fun. Sonic Adventure, of course, they had the director's cut that they eventually released for other consoles. They had Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. Those games were a ton of fun. And I feel like they were just never really able to capture that magic again. I don't know if it was due to a lack of good development, really advancing the series, if it was just people sort of fell out of love with this style of gameplay. But there's something special about Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. And I think that's it. Like, granted, Sonic Adventure definitely has its share of jank. It's its first look at going fast with this style of camera, mm-hmm. and you definitely get the camera into the wall at times. So it's not without its faults, but the faults, I think, bring that charm to it. And that's really why I want to cover it and, and, and talk about what it brought to the 3D realm coming off of that side-scrolly, somewhat 2.5 3D, at, 2.5D, I should say, at times into a true 3D. So Sonic Adventure is a 1998 platform game for the Sega Dreamcast and the first main Sonic the Hedgehog game to feature 3D gameplay. It follows Sonic the Hedgehog, Miles, Tails, Prower, Knuckles the Echidna, Amy Rose, Big the Cat, and E-102 Gamma in their quests to collect the Chaos Emeralds and stop Dr. Robotnik from unleashing chaos in ancient evil. Controlling one of the six characters, each with their own abilities, players complete levels to progress the story. Sonic Adventure retains many elements from prior Sonic games, such as power-ups and the ring-based health system. Outside the main game, players can play mini-games like racing and interact with Chow, a virtual pet. Sonic Team began developing Sonic Adventure in 1997, after the cancellation of the Sega Saturn game Sonic Extreme. Led by director Takashi Izuka and producer Yuji Naka, the team's drove to reinvent Sonic for the 3D era of video games. Adventure features a stronger emphasis on storytelling and role-playing elements in contrast to previous Sonic games, while Yuji Uakawa redesigned the series' characters for their transition to 3D. 
Sonic Team attempted to demonstrate the technical prowess of the Dreamcast with realistic graphics and drew inspiration from locations in Peru and Guatemala. The soundtrack was primarily composed by Yoon Senuyue, who preferred rock music over the electropop of previous Sonic games. And thank you for that, because yes. the Sonic songs, whatever you want to say about the gameplay themselves, the songs from Adventure, from Adventure 2 Battle, and even Sonic Heroes, and uh, I didn't play a ton of the stuff beyond that, but those songs, absolute classic bangers, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. Following its reveal at the Tokyo International Forum in August 1998, Sonic Adventure was highly anticipated and was released in Japan in December of 1998 and worldwide in September of the next year. It received critical acclaim and became the Dreamcast bestseller with 2.5 million copies sold by August 2006. Reviewers considered Adventure a major technical advancement and praised the visuals and gameplay. Though critics noted glitches and camera problems and reactions to the audio were mixed, they considered Sonic Adventure an exceptional game. Some speculated that it could help re-establish Sega as the dominant console manufacturer after the unsuccessful Saturn. Journalists have retrospectively ranked Sonic Adventure among the best Sonic games, and it is recognized as an important release in both the series and the platform genre. Many characters and concepts introduced in Adventure recur in later Sonic games. A sequel, Sonic Adventure 2, was released in 2001. Adventure was ported to the GameCube and Windows in 2003 with altered graphics and more challenges, while a high-definition version was released for the PS3 and Xbox 360 in 2010 and for Windows in 2011. Reviews for these releases were less positive. Critics felt the game had not aged well and ran at an inconsistent frame rate. And I can definitely agree with some of those assessments because you are years into the future with a new console line, with, you know, standards kind of being higher for a lot of things that needed to happen. And when you're just kind of porting that over and maybe not fixing some of those issues with these newer consoles or on PC, I get it. However, still a fun game. So obviously we know with a lot of these different Japanese studios, you've got some different developmental areas, some that focus on a very specific game set. So we're going to talk about Sonic Team. In 1983, programmer Yuji Naka was hired into Sega's consumer development division. His first project was Girls Garden, which he and Hiroshi Kawaguchi created as part of their training process. For his next game, Fantasy Star, for the Master System, Naka created pseudo-3D animation effects. He met artist Naoto Oshima, while working on the game. During the late 1980s and early 1990s, a rivalry formed between Sega and Nintendo due to the release of their 16-bit video game consoles, the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Sega needed a mascot character that would be as synonymous with their brand as Mario was with Nintendo. Sega wanted a killer app and character that could appeal to an older demographic than preteens demonstrate the capabilities of the Genesis, and ensure commercial success in North America. Sega held an internal competition to submit character designs for a mascot. Oshima designed a blue hedgehog named Sonic, who was inserted into a prototype game created by Naka. The Sonic design was refined to be less aggressive and appealed to a wider audience before the division began development on their platform game, Sonic the Hedgehog. According to Oshima, 
Sega was looking for a game that would sell well in the United States as well as in Japan. Oshima and Naka already had the game and character ready, with Oshima having worked with Sega's toy and stationery department on design ideas. Oshima claims that the progress that they had already made encouraged the company to select their proposal, as theirs was the only team to have put in a high amount of time and effort. This left him confident their proposal would be selected. The Sonic the Hedgehog project began with just Naka and Oshima, but grew to involve two programmers, two sound engineers, and three designers. Hirokazu Yasuhara joined to supervise Naka and Oshima and develop levels and became the lead designer. He satisfied Naka's request for a simple one-button design by having Sonic do damage by jumping. Sonic the Hedgehog was released in 1991 and proved a major success, contributing to millions of sales of the Genesis. The development team took the name Sonic Team for the game's release, and Naka has referred to Sonic Team as only a team name at this point. Shortly after the release of Sonic the Hedgehog, Naka, Yashihara, and a number of other Japanese developers relocated to California to join Sega Technical Institute, or STI, a development division established by Mark Cerny intended as an elite studio combining the design philosophies of American and Japanese developers. While Naka and Yashihara developed Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with STI, a very unfortunate name at this state of our world, Oshima worked on Sonic CD, a sequel for the Sega CD add-on. Though Naka was not directly involved in the Sonic CD development, he exchanged design ideas with Oshima. Following the release of Sonic and Knuckles in 1994, Yashihara quit, citing differences with Naka. Naka returned to Japan, having been offered a role as a producer. He was placed in charge of Sega's Consumer Development Department 3, also known as CS3. Naka was reunited with Oshima and brought with him Takashi Izuka, who had also worked with Naka's team at STI. In the mid-1990s, Sonic Team started work on a new intellectual property, leading to the creation of Nights into Dreams and Burning Rangers for the Sega Saturn. Naka stated that the release of Nights is when Sonic Team was truly formed as a brand. Now, this Saturn did not achieve the commercial success of the Genesis, so Sega focused its efforts on a new console, the Dreamcast, which debuted in Japan in 1998. The Dreamcast was seen as an opportunity for Sonic Team to revisit the Sonic series, which had stalled in recent years. Sonic Team was originally creating a full 3D Sonic game for the Saturn, but development moved to the Dreamcast to align with Sega's plans. Takashi Yuzuka led the project, as Yuka had long wanted to create a Sonic role-playing video game and felt that the Dreamcast was powerful enough to achieve his vision. The game became Sonic Adventure, launched in 1998, which became the best-selling Dreamcast game. So a lot of history, obviously, with Sonic the Hedgehog, and mm -hmm. there's obviously the games, he's the mascot for Sega, he's also on your SpaghettiOs, he's on the TV <laughs> yes. eating chili dogs. I mean, there was a lot of potential, I think, within Sonic to create that next step, that 3D Sonic, because obviously, at the same time, we're going to be getting 3D Mario as well. You know, mm -hmm. you've got to try and keep up with Nintendo. You're trying to compete with them. And while ultimately we end up seeing Sonic and Mario sort of work together in these like Olympic games and things like that, 
At the time, it was a really big rivalry between the companies. Yeah, until Nintendo ended up buying Sega. So spoiler alert, if you wanted to get history before it was happening, this was kind of peak time. And this is really where that idea of console wars, which we have kind of with PlayStation and Microsoft right now, this is kind of the modern day start of it. You had it previously with older consoles that everyone and their mother was making one. Every brand you pretty much see today like tried to make a video game console. It stuck for a little bit, but we've kind of fallen to our contenders, especially because people realized the real Amuchamani <laughs> is in the software and accessories and not in the actual console and development itself. I'm just sort of laughing, thinking about like a new console coming out and it being like, just like mom used to make it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, we should. And then just be like, yep. Remember this? Oh, yeah. Just like mom used to make. That's taking nostalgia to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> so during the early 1990s, Sega was one of the most successful video game companies due to the rise of its Genesis console. Genesis sales were driven by the popularity of Sega's flagship franchise of 2D platform games like Sonic the Hedgehog. During this time, series co-creator Yuji Naka worked with Sega Technical Institute, or STI, in the United States to develop Sonic games. And after the completion of Sonic and Knuckles in 1994, Naka returned to Japan to work with Sonic Team. STI began developing Sonic Extreme for the Sega Saturn, planned as the first Sonic the Hedgehog game to feature full 3D gameplay. Extreme suffered a series of setbacks and was cancelled in 1996. The cancellation is an important factor in the Saturn's commercial failure, leaving it with no original Sonic platform game. Meanwhile, Naka and Sonic Team developed original Saturn games such as Nights into Dreams. Naka wanted a 3D Sonic game but felt that only Sonic Team should undertake the endeavor. His refusal to let STI use the Knights game engine was instrumental in Extreme's cancellation. Due to the lack of Sonic games on the Saturn, according to Retro Gamer, Sonic became part of the background by mid-1997, so, quote, it was astonishing to see that, just six years after its debut, Sonic was already retro. Nights into Dreams designer Takashi Izuka felt that Sonic fans had been let down because Sonic Team was not focusing on the series. Additionally, Kazuyuki Hoshino, who would serve as art director on Sonic Adventure, said he thought during the Saturn era Sonic had become outdated. In August 1996, Shortly after the completion of Nights into Dreams, Izuka proposed Sonic Adventure as a role-playing style Sonic game with a greater emphasis on storytelling. Sonic Team started to work on it in April 1997 on the Saturn with a 20-strong team. Sonic Team created the first prototype using the Knights engine, but the Saturn's limited capabilities made development difficult. Sega president Hayoa Nakayama informed Naka of the Saturn's successor, the Dreamcast, and he believed the new console would allow Sonic Team to create the ultimate Sonic game. When the team learned the Dreamcast was nearing completion, they moved development to take advantage of its greater quantity of RAM, stronger CPU, and the VMU. Not wanting to waste their completed work, they placed it as a bonus in the compilation game Sonic Jam, the final Sonic game for the Saturn. Development on the Dreamcast began in July of 97. Sonic Jam, he plays basketball, right? Um, No, he doesn't. Sure. That was a joke. Let's, 
let's toss that in there because honestly, did anyone play Sonic Jam? <laughs> it's very. Much I did like, not. <laughs> it's very much that thing of like, honestly, you could probably say anything like, but did he? And you're like, well, I, maybe. I don't know. NBA was doing okay in the nineties. You got the Bulls going strong. Look, so man, Sonic's like, man, we got to put that on there. We just loved to jam back in the nineties. It it didn't matter. It rock and roll, basketball didn't matter. People were jamming, toast. Yeah. Put That's jam on your it's toast. E- it's either a basketball game or a garden game. It's either one. You guys be the judge of it. <laughs> so, unfortunately, as the jam came out and was spread on the toast. The development continues to go, and Izuka served as director on Sonic Adventure while Naka produced it. One of the largest video games created at the time, the team had grown to 60 people after 10 months, and over 100 developers worked on the game in total. Sonic Team undertook development in conjunction with the Dreamcast, aiming to release the game in December of 1998, even if it meant making improvements after release. Ooh, okay, oh, so I see Sonic. So Sonic's this is where pushing it our AAA <laughs> Even if it's like, well, the game sucks, but just patch it later. <coughs> game Freak. <coughs> yep. <laughs> Developing Sonic Adventure at the same time as the system, which was not completed until two months before the game's release, gave Izuka influence over the console's development. For example, he was able to request more RAM for the console specifically for Sonic Adventure. According to former Sega of America producer Mark Sabotnik, oh, Sabotnik? Dr. More like Robotnik. Sabotnik. <laughs> Naga canceled Geist Force, an on-rails shooter that was planned as a Dreamcast launch game so he could use its proprietary software for Sonic Adventure. Which makes sense. I mean, if you haven't had a Sonic game in a while and you need this launch and you need basically all hands on deck, you need everything going, it's like, listen, man, your random weird game called Geist Force, we need it. <laughs> we need the software to put into my game. Yeah. I think that that's a solid plan. Man, can you imagine going through life with such a villainous name like Subotnik? I mean, do I just feel like that's villainous because it sounds like Robotnik, or does it just actually sound villainous? It's, I think it's, I think you got a point. It's, it's definitely villainous to, to a, to a, a tinge and it doesn't help it's very much like mr bowser at nintendo right now yeah you've got sabotnik with robotnik i mean come on i mean bowser definitely took over from the inside we got a little bit of a hydra shield situation <laughs> exactly sonic team felt challenged by the new hardware to recreate sonic and his world in a new way they began development using the character designs from the genesis games but quickly discovered the characters bodies were too short and their heads too big making them difficult to see. Retro game characters such as Pac-Man were also being reborn in a more urban fashion around the same time, something that made Sonic Team jealous and feel the original character designs were dated. As such, Yuji Okawa redesigned each character to suit the transition to 3D and to give them new, edgy, more Western design. Looking to the animation of Walt Disney and Looney Tunes for inspiration, He made Sonic more mature, taller, and slimmer, and gave him longer quills. He darkened his blue color and gave him green irises in reference to Green Hill Zone. Yuukawa tried to make Sonic look like comic book characters and compared the style to graffiti. After redesigning Sonic, he made the other characters fit this new art style. 
Hoshina noted that the character's longer limbs made it easier to recreate their 2D poses in 3D. Sonic Adventure features two new playable characters, Big and Gamma. Sonic Team had already implemented an in-game fishing rod with no context or use, leading to the creation of Big. Big was designed to be giant and relaxed, so the player would not expect something more intense. Gamma and his playstyle were created in response to fans who wanted elements of a shoot-'em-up in Sonic, and because Ayazuka's desire to include some type of satisfying gameplay that couldn't be done with Sonic. Neither Big nor Gamma were intended to play a large role, thus both of their campaigns were short. Ayazuka also wanted to create a villain who would have been impossible to make on older hardware. He settled on something liquid and transparent and created Chaos. Aizuka presented the concept to Naka who was impressed, and Chaos was originally intended to have realistic blue scales in its final form, but this was abandoned because of the technological constraints of the Dreamcast. So a little fun fact for you there. I do love that Sega especially has always been pretty obsessed with fishing games, and so they're just like, well... Honestly, we needed, I wanted a fishing game in here. I have no use for it. It goes nowhere. What if we, what if we create a character so we can go fishing? You know, I've definitely fished more in video games than I ever have in real life. And <laughs> I, I don't know if that's just because of the games that I play, what the deal, like Stardew Valley, Sonic the Hedgehog, Pokemon, mm -hmm. Legend of Zelda. I've gone fishing in video games a lot. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's and I think it is. I think every programmer is just like, hey man, you gotta put fishing in. Every this. programmer you gotta figure out somehow. They start to feel the pressure of the crunch and they're like, man, it would be really nice if I could just go somewhere relaxing and fish. So instead of actually doing that, they just build it into whatever game, shoehorn it in. Mm -hmm. I could fish here now. So at their desk, yeah. they can work and fish. Fun fact about most game devs, they have a gone fishing poster uh hanging up, and that's where they get <laughs> They have the kitten <laughs> hanging that says hang in there and then a gone fishing poster. And that's where most of their inspiration comes from. That's good. That's a good conspiracy theory. It. I like it. Add it to the list. <laughs> now, while some Sonic games, such as 1993's Sonic CD, contained limited voice work, Sonic Adventure was the first Sonic game to feature extensive voice acting. The decision was made early in development as the game was more story-focused than previous Sonic games. Sonic Team staff had differing opinions about how Sonic should sound. Aizuka recalled that the only element they agreed on was to avoid using an anime voice actor, favoring a film actor with an over-the-top voice. Sonic Team cast Junichi Kenimuru as Sonic. In an interview celebrating his 30th anniversary as a voice actor, Kenimuru said one reason he was cast was because of his ability to speak English. After Sonic Team USA was formed, they hired American actors to translate the Japanese script. The English-language voice cast consists of Ryan Drummond as Sonic, Corey Bringus as Tails, Michael McArm as Knuckles, Jennifer Doulard as Amy, John St. John as Big, and E-102 Gamma, and Dean Bristow as Robotnik. Ayazuka used Sonic Adventure to introduce Robotnik's Japanese name, Dr. Eggman, to Western audiences. He accomplished this by having Sonic insult Robotnik when they meet for the first time in-game. Similarly, 
he avoided referring to tails as miles, which he was commonly called in Japan. Because Sonic Adventure was a Dreamcast launch game, the team strove to demonstrate the console's capabilities with realistic graphics. To achieve a more realistic feel for the environments, the core members of Sonic Team visited temples, jungles, and ancient ruins in Mesoamerican landscapes, including Cancun, Guatemala, and Peru. While Sonic Team members had to draw artwork by hand for games in the past, for Sonic Adventure, they were able to use photographs taken during their visits as textures. The greatest influences were the Tikal Ruin in Guatemala and Machu Picchu in Peru. The character Tikal was inspired by Peru and took her name from the Guatemalan ruins. And the 3D visuals were created using a Voodoo 2 graphics chip. I think we might have a little bit of one of those situations like we see so often with the sound designers who just want a nice vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, nah. guys. I need to go to Guatemala, Peru. You notice that Machu Picchu and the Tico Ruin are the ones that they actually used for the design, but then they got uh, Cancun in there as well. Just, <laughs> yeah, you got you to try it, Derek. You got to eh, try, you know. There, just, why don't we just explore Cancun a little bit? Listen, 66.6, repeating, of course, part of that trip was work. <laughs> if you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The levels were designed to feature gameplay similar to the original Genesis games and to take at least five minutes to complete. One of the biggest challenges the adventure designers faced was transitioning Sonic's 2D style to 3D. In the Genesis Sonic games, the player simply had to go right to reach the end of the level, but in Sonic Adventure, they could move in every direction. The designers created models for the stages before testing it as the player character, resulting in trial and error. This made Iazuka realize the importance of the game's camera. Some levels, such as The Lost World, were rebuilt dozens of times. Sonic Team split levels into parts to save memory. One particular difficulty was defeating enemies. In the 2D games, enemies were beaten simply by jumping on them, but this was harder to achieve in a 3D game. Therefore, Sonic was given the ability to target enemies in mid-air. And that's such a huge change because mm-hmm. really depth perception is a very hard thing to make work right, especially in video games of this era. Yeah. And so the ability to target, absolutely huge. The, the game would have been borderline unplayable, I think, without that. And it, and it was, for what it's worth, it was so satisfying to like jump up, get that target lock and go and like bounce off them and explode those things. Like it was satisfying. 
especially because you could combo it up too. So mm-hmm. like they eventually incorporated it into level design as well, where it's like, oh, I need to get from this place to this place. The only place, the only way to do that is to one by one jump on all these enemies till I get to the other side of this bridge. And, yep. you know, it, it might be just a little bonus thing that you have to do, but I mean, a, a really cool way to utilize that in just a way that's a little bit more than defeating an enemy. Yeah, it, it really made it well worth it. And again, just really satisfying to get those plunk, plunk, plunks as you make it across that. <laughs> that's the exact noise they used. Plunk, mm-hmm. plunk, plunk. Mm-hmm. Ayazuka said the cinematic sequences were conceived to take advantage of the environments, giving the player an element of discovery in addition to the platforming. The team also wanted to add elements unexpected in a platform game. For example, the level in which Tails sandboards was inspired by a group of sandboarders in Ica, Peru. Some levels reference past Sega games, such as Ice Cap, which is 1994's Sonic the Hedgehog 3, and the tornado levels from 1995's Panzer Dragoon. When seeing the completed level designs, Izuka and Naka decided to repurpose them for other player characters. Izuka said they felt it would be a waste if Sonic just quickly ran through the levels that they spent so much time creating. The first characters besides Sonic added to the game were Tails and Knuckles. Tails stages turned portions of Sonic's levels into races, while Knuckles' treasure hunting missions were designed as a contrast to the other straightforward ones. Sonic Adventure was the first time Amy was playable in a Sonic platformer, and Ayazuka aimed to use her to add tension, such as hiding from pursuers, that Sonic's gameplay could not offer. Because Sonic Adventure had a stronger emphasis on storytelling than previous games in the series, the team implemented hub worlds to draw the players deeper into the world. The hub world's emphasis on exploring to find new areas and power-ups was inspired by The Legend of Zelda. When seeing the completed level designs, Ayazuka and Naka decided to repurpose them for other player characters. According to Ayazuka, the team tried to include as much content as possible. One addition was the Chow Raising system, which Ayazuka conceived to take advantage of the VMU. Sonic Team had used a similar virtual pet system, the A-Life, in Nights into Dreams. Ayazuka used the A-Life as a base, while improving it with the VMU and the option to improve its skills. Ayazuka hoped it would be made into a character players could touch and raise. It was also designed to appeal to casual gamers not familiar with games like Sonic and to add replay value. The design took considerable time to finalize and had to be made as simple as possible because the virtual pet's look changes form as it evolves. Oh, man. Oh, man. I remember in Adventure and Adventure 2, like, raising chows and just, like, how, one, as a kid having absolutely no idea how the system worked, just knowing that I got eggs and that sometimes I would get cool ones and I'd try and raise them and be so frustrated, but then I got the cool devil ones and the cool angel ones, and it made no sense as a kid. (laughs) But it was such a fun, cool system to have this, like, pretty heavily weighted side minigame added to everything else that was already going on in Sonic. Yeah, absolutely. It, this is such a, a fun thing. And I think what they were going for hitting the more casual gamers with this was so on point. I played Adventure 2 uh, with my little brother, 
who at the time I think was like pretty good at at these games, could handle mm-hmm. it relatively well. But you know, having something like that on the side, where it really didn't involve the reactionary gameplay of like a typical Sonic game, and just slowing everything down. I mean, it's the perfect contrast. You take oh, yeah. a game like Sonic, where it's about blowing through the levels as fast as you can. And then having this other element where it's very slow and you're just sort of like, it's like a chia pet almost. I mean, you're just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not a chia pet. What were those things? Tamagotchi, essentially, where you're oh, just raising yeah. this little animal from an egg and it has different powers. And especially in Adventure 2 Battle, the expansion they did with this building off of DX was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely one of my favorite parts of this series. It was. And you see a lot of that Sega definitely puts a lot of those ideas into future games like Billy Hatcher and the giant egg and other ones where it revolves around not necessarily fully raising, but having different creatures come into your party, hatching those through eggs, getting their abilities and continues on that format or the idea of it. And we see that in plenty of games now, um, whether it's raising animals and like Stardew or plenty of others that have involved kind of like creating the ultimate kind of character as a side game yeah absolutely and i want to touch on something else as well just the the, what they did i think the order that they did this just before we jump over into the gameplay because i think this kind of ties in what they did with designing the levels and then deciding this is a level that is best suited for this character was such a good way to go about designing this Mm -hmm. game Mm -hmm. because going through and having this very detail oriented type of map and putting a lot of time and effort into it and and having the awareness to say hey i don't want sonic to just blast through all this stuff i want to have maybe this be a knuckles level where he is really using that 3d that whole the camera moving around with you to really get a glimpse into all these different parts of this area to do that and and have that awareness i think is a really good decision really cool move by them yeah, it changed it up. It changed up the landscape. I mean, they had tried reinventing a bit of Sonic 2D as it had gone through. And again, Sonic Pinball, oh, great spinoff. Fun stuff. But they tried just so many ideas of spinoffs, um, you know, spreading jam on toast and plenty of others, <laughs> that they're now finally getting this idea of it. Yes. <laughs> I brought it up at the top of the show that, yeah, there was some jank with the cameras. Like they even talked about it. It it took forever to get an idea on how to make that work. Those knuckles levels where you're trying to fly and that camera's spinning around as you're trying to like figure out what the chaos emeralds are to dig. Yeah, frustration's definitely there. But in the end, frustration the game- and seasickness a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. But the the gameplay and, and the fun that's added to that end up outweighing it in the end through playing through it. So I definitely enjoy it. And I want to start talking about exactly what we've talked about. Like I bring up, you know, Knuckles can dig, Tails flies. I want to bring up the gameplay and, and, and how each character kind of works as you play through them. So as we had said, players control one of these six protagonists as they venture to defeat Dr. Robotnik and his robot army who seek the seven magical chaos emeralds and the evil entity chaos. Six player characters are unlocked as the game progresses, each with their own story and attributes. Sonic the Hedgehog performs a spin dash, homing attack, and light speed dash. Tails flies, swims, and attacks robots using his tails. 
Knuckles the Echidna glides, climbs walls, and punches. Amy Rose can defeat enemies using her hammer. Big the Cat is slow and carries a fishing rod he can cast. And E-102 Gamma can shoot laser beams, also drive incredibly fast, and there's other insane power-ups that Gamma gets that are definitely game-breaking. At the start of the game, the player is placed in one of three adventure fields, open-ended hub worlds inhabited by advice-giving non-player characters. The player character is guided and instructed by the voice of Tikal the Echidna. Through exploration, the player discovers entrances to levels called action stages, some of which must be opened using keys hidden in the adventure field. Once the player accesses an action stage, they are tasked with a specific objective, which is different for each character. Sonic must reach the level's end like in prior Sonic the Hedgehog games, Tails must reach the end before Sonic, Knuckles must find three hidden shards of the Master Emerald, Amy must solve puzzles and avoid being caught by a robot, Big must fish for his pet frog, and Gamma must fight his way through stages using projectiles as a defense. Some levels include mini-games separate from the main story. These feature different styles of gameplay, among them rail shooting, racing, and sandboarding. Some mini-games can only be accessed with particular characters. Fulfilling certain objectives allows the player to obtain bonus items. Unlocked mini-games and stages the player has completed can be accessed from a trial mode on the title screen. Like previous Sonic the Hedgehog games, players collect golden rings as a form of health. If the player character is in possession of rings when they are hit by an enemy or other hazard, they will survive, but their rings will scatter and blink before disappearing. Canisters containing power-ups such as speed shoes, additional rings, invincibility, and protective shields are also hidden in levels. In several stages, the player engages Robotnik or Chaos in a boss fight and must deplete the boss's health meter to proceed. Each character starts with a limited number of lives, and the player loses a life if the character drowns, gets crushed, or is hit without any rings in their possession. The game ends when the player runs out of lives, but lives can be replenished by collecting 100 rings or a 1-up. Players may also discover Chow Gardens, hidden protective environments inhabited by Chow, a virtual pet. Players can hatch, name, and interact with multiple Chow, and they can raise the status of their Chow by giving them small animals, which can be collected by defeating enemies within the action stages. The Dreamcast Handheld Visual Memory Unit, or the VMU, allows the player to download the mini-game Chow Adventure in which their Chow walks through a course to evolve and improve its skills. Evolving one's Chow improves its performance in competitions called Chow Races. Eggs that can produce special types of Chow are hidden throughout the adventure fields. Players can earn emblems by playing through action stages, searching through the adventure fields, or winning Chow Races. Each action stage has three emblems that can be earned by replaying the stages and fulfilling objectives such as beating the level within a time limit. The old Chow Gardens and the old frustration of having your Chow's race, but there's no, it's no control. It's like an auto battler nowadays where like you just like, come on, Chow, stop tripping over your feet. What yeah. are you doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like you could have the best Chow in the world, but for whatever reason, they just randomly fall and they cry a little bit and they get mm -hmm. up. Yeah, and as you, you know, level them up, and especially more in two as we're talking about it, yeah. they add more attributes to it. So you can, like, give them um, the animals in this one. You can feed them different fruits in the other one and raise trees to have them 
kind of increase those stats. So like they cry, it sounds so bad, but they cry less, they, they get up more, they stop tripping. But at the same time, yeah. like you said, you can max them out, but there's still that chance that you're going to lose yeah. that race. And then also, I, I don't know if this was a thing in Adventure, but in Adventure 2, the Chows could die. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, what a heartbreaking thing where you just, oh, you know, here's me. I'm like... 11 years old or something going down to play my GameCube. Oh, it's going to be great. Me and my child going to have some fun, maybe do a race. Maybe we're going to do a little karate fight. I don't know. Where's my child? Oh my God. My child's dead. It's just not there. I mean, yep. that's like coming home from school and like your pet gerbil being dead or something. Yeah. Like, like, Oh, I got to feed my gerbil. Got to feed my fish. And it's upside down in the tank or it's in, it's on the wheel, but the wheel ain't spinning. <laughs> or going I back mean, to the Tamagotchi thing of you're in school, you're trying to you're trying to sneakily oh. feed that thing's that thing's crying. It is it is on death's door. And you're like, I gotta feed it. And it's like, Alex, you don't answer this question. You're like, oh. yeah. And you look down, <laughs> it's dead. Oh, you didn't feed it in time. That's that was every right. time. That's why I couldn't have a Tamagotchi. I, just, I was like, I, I'm at school. It just dies. You you look down, it's got a little gravestone instead. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh. Mm-hmm. Well, what's wild about that too, Derek? Time to find our- a pencil so I could start again. <laughs> Got to hit that reset button. What's wild about that in our old man stages, as we're getting older, Tamagotchis are back, baby, and they are expensive. Yeah? Like, They're back. like a, a brand new Tamagotchi is expensive? Br- brand new. It's like 25 bucks. Tamagotchis are back out, and they have themed ones. Anyway, eh, old man hour. Than a dog. <laughs> Get your chows or get your Tommies. You go for it, guys. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so, so we have the chows, but I want to talk about the story. Because again, we talked about it. It's story heavy. It's the first Sonic game that's really kind of hardcore focusing on that besides like beat Robotnik, save the animals. So Dr. Robotnik seeks a new way to defeat his longtime nemesis Sonic and conquer the world. During his research, he learns about an entity called Chaos, a creature that thousands of years ago, helped to protect the Chow and the all-powerful Master Emerald, which balances the power of the seven Chaos Emeralds. When a tribe of Echidnas sought to steal the power of the Emeralds, breaking the harmony that they had with the Chow, Chaos, or now that I'm seeing this, it's just Chows. (laughs) Yeah. It's just Chows. But Chaos retaliated by using the Emerald's power to transform into a monstrous beast perfect chaos, and wiped them out. Tikal, a young echidna who befriended chaos, imprisoned it in the Master Emerald along with herself. Robotnik shatters the Master Emerald to release chaos and test the creature's natural form on the city of Station Square. When Sonic sees local police fail to defeat chaos, he entails work to stop Robotnik from empowering it with the chaos emeralds. Knuckles, the only remaining echidna, sets out to find the shards of the Master Emerald and repair it. Robotnik activates a new series of robots, including one named Gamma, and orders them to find Froggy, an amphibian who ate a Chaos Emerald. Froggy's owner, Big, seeks to find him as well. In Station Square, Sonic's friend Amy finds a Flicky being pursued by a Chaos Emerald in its possession and decides to protect it. When both are captured, Amy convinces Gamma not to work for Robotnik, and Gamma helps her escape before seeking out and destroying the other robots in his series, sacrificing himself in the process. And now although Sonic disrupts Robotnik's plans, Chaos manages to absorb all the Chaos Emeralds, 
and transforms into perfect chaos. It rebels against Robotnik and destroys Station Square. Through flashbacks from Tikal, who was also released from the Master Emerald, Sonic realizes that chaos has been in constant torment and sorrow, and that imprisoning it again will not stop it. He uses the Chaos Emeralds himself to transform into Super Sonic and defeats Perfect Chaos. Chaos calms down when it sees the Chow living peacefully in Station Square, and Teagle takes it somewhere safe to live in peace. Afterward, Sonic pursues a fleeing robot. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm not alone in every time after reading a Chow paragraph to a Chaos paragraph. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to flip back and forth, but the yeah, obviously you see the inspiration child. for the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, again, so, it's... Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I mean, just a pretty cool story. A little bit more in-depth than some of the other Sonic stuff that we'd seen before. It's yes. not anything totally crazy, but it's cool to sort of see how all these characters sort of have their own little adventures involving the Chaos Emeralds, and then they come together and... Hey, it all and it's, out. it's one that we actually have backstory on, like to actually get like Amy and Big and Gamma to have somewhat of a backstory of why they're even involved yep. with the Chaos Emeralds or why they're even involved in this. Like Big, here's the thing. Big would not be anywhere near this if it wasn't for his frog being lost and eating a shard. Like you just wouldn't. And so to have right. that like makes just a cool idea of why to bring these characters in, give it a bit of a story. and. It worked. It worked for a Sonic game to bring a little depth to it. Yeah, absolutely. Just something that is a little bit more than just bad guy want emeralds for power. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the episode where the composer Yoon Sinoe preferred a little bit more of the rock style compared to the the popier techno stuff of the mm-hmm. earlier Sonic games. Absolutely. And so... They were the primary composer, but there was also additional music by Fumi Kumatani, Kenichi Takoi, and Masuro Setsumaru. Adventure was Sonoe's first project as sound director, and its scope meant he had many more responsibilities, including schedule management, compared to his previous games. Despite this, Sonoe said he did not feel much pressure, as he was a Sonic fan and had contributed to previous game soundtracks. In contrast to previous Sonic games, which featured the Electropop soundtracks, the Adventure sound team preferred hot, funky, and rock and roll music. That's a quote. Mm-hmm. I didn't say that. I want that to be clear. <laughs> Ayazuka noted that Sonic Team's primary goal with Adventure was to, quote, evoke the essence of Sonic by going from 2D to 3D and felt the music needed to exceed fan expectations due to previous Sonic soundtracks' popularity. He stated a new style was adopted because the Dreamcast sound was a significant advance from that of the Genesis. Sonoe added he felt more comfortable composing rock music and wanted to create music everyone could enjoy. Despite the different styles, Sonoe did retain some music from the Genesis Sonic games. The music for the Windy Valley and Twinkle Park levels were rearranged from Sonic 3D Blast, while the level clear jingle was taken from Sonic 3. He chose to reuse his 3D Blast tracks because he felt they were strong enough to be more widely heard as they were only used in the Genesis version, which was not released in Japan. Sonoe composed several songs with English lyrics to highlight the various characters' personalities, 
and collaborated with Takoy and Kumatani to polish them. The main theme, Open Your Heart, was performed by Hardline's Johnny Gioli. Other songs were performed by Gioli, Marlon Saunders, Jared Fox, Ted Poley, Nikki Gregoroff, and Tony Harnell. Sonic Adventure marked Sanoe's first collaboration with Gioli. The two later formed the band Crush 40, originally known as Sons of Angels, and continued to make music together. Ayazuka was inspired to use Open Your Heart as the final boss music by films, which he noted often use main themes during dramatic events. Ayazuka also felt that the songs helped define Knuckles and Amy's personalities, as they had not received much character development in Sonic games until Adventure. A two-disc soundtrack, Sonic Adventure Digilog Conversation original soundtrack, was released in Japan in January of 1999. In May 2011, the soundtrack was re-released to commemorate the Sonic franchise's 20th anniversary. A two-volume digital soundtrack was also released on iTunes and Spotify in September 2014 and January 2017, respectively. Brave Wave Productions released a vinyl LP version of the soundtrack, including interviews with Sonoe and Aizuka in 2018. So you can still get them hands in that physical edition of it, baby. So, yeah, being able to, like, hear it, because, again, Sonic games, when they made that shift from rock, or to rock, I should say, from kind of electro-pop, was such an interesting shift, because, yeah, you started to get English lyrics into it, and we hear a lot more of that in Director's Cut and Sonic 2 that really shaped that soundtrack. I mean, if if you played it or heard it, like, it's almost like when you play Tony Hawk in terms of like all this like pop punk music that would come on yeah. and you would hear like Superman, Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Yeah. Yeah. You'd hear all these, these quintessential songs where a lot of people heard these bands for the first time, depending on how old you were and what you played like. And then those get stuck in your head very much like the new age Sonic music did. Absolutely. And there is like a fondness in a lot of these older games, I think. Uh, from the developer's side to sort of stay with these like rock versions of songs because even though I think a lot of music now is trended away mostly from using that like distorted rock guitar sound just in like popular music obviously there are people out there that still listen to rock and whatever but Mm -hmm. in terms of like when you go and see movies now rather than seeing like a big rock scene whereas like a movie from the 80s there might be like a crazy van halen style solo now it's like this big electronic type of thing where it's synths and heavy bass from the synths and things like that Mm -hmm. i think in a lot of games like sonic i think of a game like captain falcon you know more of these like japanese inspired games i think they've really stuck to more of that rock sound and I have a fondness for a lot of these soundtracks in comparison just due to that fact. And songs from the Sonic games still get stuck in my head. Like, even just talking about this now, I have, like, three different Sonic songs going through my head. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It, it's, and even from OG Sonic to, especially this era, I haven't played a lot of the new stuff, but, like, it, it sticks with bum, me. Bum, it's bum, awesome. Bum, 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 bum. That's me right now. It's like a carnival. <laughs> A carnival of musical taste. I'm seeing every Sonic character come out of a car, a <laughs> tiny car. 
Oh my god, it's it's great. The Sonic soundtrack's great. Check out this one and Sonic Adventure Two, especially when they started to put rap into it. It's ridiculous and fantastic. Oh, I forgot about the rap. <laughs> yep. Oh man. So let's talk about the different releases. Let's talk about the original release, the re-releases, and where we see it today. Sonic Adventure was kept a secret during production. Though screenshots were leaked in mid-1998, and plans for a 3D Sonic game had been long rumored. It was unveiled by Naka and the rest of Sonic Team on August 22, 1998, at the Tokyo International Forum. The team showed off several dynamic elements, such as a chase sequence from the first level and Tails' sandboarding sequence. The presentation ended with a live performance of Open Your Heart, alongside a real video clip montage. Naka described the debut as intense, having given his all to make it fit for release. On December 23rd, 1998, Sonic Adventure was released in Japan. The Japanese version shipped with many glitches. According to Aizuka, this was because the game was produced on a tight schedule. So Sonic Team did not have time to fix them. As we talked about earlier, he's like, nah, we'll fix it later. Several members of Sonic Team flew to Sega of America to establish Sonic Team USA and patch and translate the game. Prior to the launch of the Dreamcast in the United States, Sega made an exclusive deal with Hollywood Video to allow customers to rent the Dreamcast console along with a non-retail version of the game, Sonic Adventure Limited Edition. The promotion began on July 15, 1999, and took place at 1,055 Hollywood Video stores across the country. Rest in peace, Hollywood Video. Is Hollywood Video out of business? I don't even know. Yeah, I think they're all kind of <laughs> on their way out, if not. Yeah, most of them are done. <laughs> yep. The localized version was released in North America on September 9th of 1999 as a launch title, and in Europe on September 23rd of 99. It includes Japanese and English language audio tracks, as well as Japanese, English, Spanish, French, and German subtitles. Online features, including Chow Daycare and DLC, such as minigames and new level assets, were also added. The American release of Studio Perot's Sonic the Hedgehog from 1996 original video animation coincided with the Western release of Sonic Adventure, while DIC Entertainment's Sonic Underground from 99 was commissioned to help promote the game. The localized version was later released in Japan as Sonic Adventure International. Before release, Sega projected to sell a million copies of Sonic Adventure. Sonic Adventure is the best-selling Dreamcast game, and by August of 2006, it had sold 2.5 million copies, including 440,000 in Japan and 1.27 million in the U.S., in Europe, it sold 86,000 copies during its first five days on sale. In the UK, it was the top-selling Dreamcast launch game. And after the North American release, there were complaints of a number of Sonic Adventure discs failing to load. Sega of America determined that this was a software problem due to errors at one manufacturing facility and tracked the faulty software. Most copies were unaffected and the customers with defective copies could trade for working ones at retailers. So still, uh, still we're getting these patchy, rough releases today. Some say worse, even though we've got all this other data and the internet and deliveries. Back Game in freak. the day. <laughs> yeah, back in the day. You had to patch it through the day. Yeah, and 
I mean, still kind of a bummer. You you mm-hmm. get that game, you load it up, doesn't load at all. What's going on? Take it back. I mean, I don't know exactly what the open box policy was for games like that back then, but probably wasn't the easiest thing in the world to return or get a replacement for before they figured out that this was an issue. Like, how Mm -hmm. widespread did it have to become before they were like, oh, okay, this is actually kind of a big deal, and these people weren't just trying to take something back. Yeah, exactly. Like, Like, how do you get that manufacturer, like, promise out there that like you can take it back to your Toys R Us or your EB games or whatever other stores were around at that time and like swap it and then they send it back. Yep. Who knows? Well, let's talk about some re-releases. In 2001, Sega announced it would transition from a first party to a third party software publisher in response to the international failures of the Saturn and the Dreamcast. Wanting to reach new players by creating an enhanced version of one of its older games, in June 2003, Sega released Sonic Adventure DX, Director's Cut, a port of Sonic Adventure for the GameCube and Windows. While mostly identical to the original release, Sonic Adventure DX features updated graphics, including updated textures and more detailed character models, aims for a frame rate of 60 instead of 30, and sports a redesigned chow-raising system that uses connectivity with the Game Boy Advance. It includes 60 new missions, and the option to unlock emulations of all 12 Sonic games released for the Game Gear. Additionally, Metal Sonic can be unlocked as a playable character if all 130 emblems are collected. These features were added to appeal to players of the original game. But, as we had said, Sonic Adventure DX received mixed reviews. GameSpot was disappointed that the re-release did not address the problems of the original version, irritated that the graphics were only marginally different and dissatisfied with its collision detection. GameSpot offered some praise for the extra features, such as the missions, but concluded players were better off playing the Dreamcast version. IGN agreed, calling it a sloppy port of a game that had long been undeserving of its high praise. Oof. Well, burn there. On Sick both burn, sides. IGN. <laughs> Dang. Now, they went after they went after the juggler on that one, because IGN also noted its frequent frame rate drops and described its camera one of the worst in a video game. IGN said the connectivity to the GBA, Sonic games added depth, but concluded this was not enough to compensate for the port's problems. Nintendo World Report was more positive, praising the Game Gear games for retaining their multiplayer support and finding Sonic and Tails gameplay enjoyable. Sloppy port of a game that has long been undeserving of its high praise is... Those are fighting words. They just, hand, they just handed Sonic the shovel and said, start digging. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty brutal, but I, I think criticism of Sonic Adventure DX is warranted, as I, I think that it is for a lot of ports. Because, yeah, people want to be able to play games that they weren't able to play in the past, and they don't want to be limited by the availability, especially with something that is available digitally. At the same time... There's so many games, and and this is still a big part of the industry, so many games that get the premium price tag for games that they didn't change anything for. So it's it's one of those things where I think as the game gets ported more and more and more, you're going to see the reviews start to become more critical and drop more because the more time you spend with a game and the more familiar you are with the game, the more problems you can find. 
mm-hmm. always note the the things that are amazing right off the bat, but the the problems and the cracks and the actual finished product start to become more apparent the more time you spend with the game. And that's just how it goes. That's very true. So there was also an HD version in September of 2010. Sega re-released Sonic Adventure as a downloadable game for the Xbox 360 and PS3, followed by a Windows release in March 2011 via Steam. This version is based on Sonic Adventure DX and supports high-definition visuals at a 4x3 aspect ratio. Sonic Adventure DX's additional content was removed, but the mission mode in Metal Sonic can be re-implemented by purchasing additional DLC. The game was also included in the Dreamcast Collection compilation in 2011 and is backwards compatible with the Xbox One and Xbox Series X and S. Reviews of the 2010 re-release were generally unfavorable, with criticism directed at the perceived lack of effort put into the port. IGN called it, so fundamentally flawed that it borders on unplayable. So you see the the trend? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Observing that the sections that worked best required the least input from the player. IGN criticized the lack of widescreen support, but offered minor praise for its steady frame rate. 1UP.com lambasted the port for what they called its slapdash quality, criticizing its display, controls, and data design, and saying... It, quote, feels like it wasn't even tuned for the Xbox 360 controller and its analog sticks. Destructoid was less harsh, writing that fans of the franchise would be able to enjoy the game, but warned casual players that, quote, all you'll find is a relic that was once considered greatness. Ugh. And sadly, that's kind of the review for most Sonic games that have come out to date. Janky controls is frustrating. They were really great for the era that they came out in, but it doesn't feel like they have innovated much after these. Like, Sonic Adventure innovated so much, and they had all of these thought processes behind, okay, well, we're putting all this effort into the level design, and let's try and change some of the things. Sonic needs to be able to lock on to people. We need to have other characters that... Mm-hmm. offer different styles of gameplay than run fast. And it just kind of feels like they lost sight of those things and instead just wanted to keep making the same game over and over with characters that people loved. And because they love them, they I think were afraid to make games without having those classic characters be a part of it. But you can't innovate without taking some risks. And here's the thing, Derek, you're not wrong. Talking about reusing levels, kind of like, it's, it's kind of always going back to those glory days. Like, you peaked in high school. Sonic, Sonic peaked in high school with Sonic Adventure, and they keep going back. Remember those days? Let's talk about those days and reuse those days. And that's kind of what their legacy was. Because with most contemporary 3D platform games, focusing on exploration and collecting items, Sonic Adventure stood out with its linear gameplay. According to GamesRadar, as one of the first sixth-generation console games, it changed the industry forever. Joystick wrote that both Adventure and the original Sonic the Hedgehog had innovated in 3D and 2D games respectively through effective linear level design and by feeling good to play. In 2009, GamePro listed Sonic Adventure as the seventh best platforming game of all time, saying it has not aged well in certain aspects, but its core gameplay remained among the best of the Sonic series. Several journalists ranked the game among the series' best, but Kotaku argued that the addition of voice acting and greater focus on plot changed Sonic into a, quote, flat, 
lifeless husk of a character who spits out slogans and generally has only one personality mode, the radical attitude dude, the sad recycled image of vague 90s culture concept. And this is just making me sad. (laughs) And it's not wrong. And it's kind of, I don't know if you've seen the new Sonic game. It's still kind of that, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I, I, I saw people get really hyped up for colors and they got really hyped up for Sonic Frontiers, but it's, I got hyped up for Sonic the Hedgehog, the Xbox 361. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. great, a, a next gen game. And I played it and I'm like, this isn't good. You know, yeah. it's, it's just an unfortunate state for Sonic the Hedgehog right now. I don't necessarily know where these games go, but it feels like one of those characters that you just got to kind of accept peaked in the 90s and mm-hmm. early 2000s. And th- that's just kind of what it is. It's okay. It's yeah. hard to let go of something like that, but... It is. And they haven't, because many of Sonic Adventure's designs and concepts were reused in later Sonic games. Like you said, the direction, basic gameplay, and Yuakawa's modernized character design became series staples. The first level in the 2006 Sonic the Hedgehog reboot heavily references Sonic Adventure's Emerald Coast stage. To celebrate the Sonic series' 20th anniversary in 2011, Sega released Sonic Generations, which reused aspects from past games in the franchise. The Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and Windows versions contained reimagined versions of the Speed Highway level and the Perfect Chaos boss fight, and the Nintendo 3DS version contains a remake of Emerald Coast. Several characters that first appeared in Sonic Adventure appeared in later games as well as appearing in Sonic Generations. Chaos is an antagonist in the 2017 entry Sonic Forces. It and Gamma are playable characters in the 2004 fighting game Sonic Battle, and a recreation of its boss fight appears in Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Winter Games. The Chow creatures also feature predominantly in later games. One of the characters introduced in Adventure, Big the Cat, became infamous for his negative reception. Game Informer considered his gameplay painful and boring, while Destructoid decried his portrayal as a mentally handicapped imbecile. Wow. And his voice actor's incoherent performance. Big is widely considered by video game journalists the worst character in the Sonic franchise. It was named one of the worst game characters in a poll conducted by 1UP.com. Now hold on, that's harsh. I'm a big stan. <laughs> I like Vic. He's cool. I don't really, yeah, I, I didn't realize there was this level of hatred for Big. He was fine. Like, I mean, yeah, he's not is, like Knuckles the Echidna level of cool, but. Yeah, but I mean, you're talking about this is like Jar Jar Star Wars level of hate on a character that's just kind of there. Yeah, he's like a lovable buffoon. That's mm-hmm. all. It's a shame. Well, whatever. <laughs> On October 4th, 1999, Sega announced that a sequel to Sonic Adventure was in development. Sonic Adventure 2 made its debut at E3 2000 and was released in June 2001. The sequel was designed to be more action-oriented than the slower-paced, story-centric adventure and to give all the characters equal playtime. Like its predecessor, Sonic Adventure 2 received positive reviews. A concept for Sonic Adventure 3 was reworked into the 2008 game Sonic Unleashed. In 2017, Iazuka stated that there were no plans for a third Sonic Adventure game, saying it would not advance the series' design. He did not rule out the idea, saying, quote, If we can get the gameplay to evolve and get to a place where Adventure 3 makes sense, then you might see an Adventure 3 come out. 
In December 2018, Iazuka expressed interest in remaking Sonic Adventure. The plot of Sonic Adventure was adapted in the second season of the 2003 Sonic the Hedgehog anime series Sonic X. American Licensing Corporation for Kids Entertainment hired a new voice cast for the English language dub, but the Japanese cast from the games reprised their roles in the original version of the show. Archie Comics also adapted the game in its Sonic the Hedgehog comic book series. The comic offered an explanation for the altered character designs and established that Station Square was hidden beneath Sonic's planet, Mobius. So, you know, interesting ways to take it. And really, I would love to see an Adventure 3 or, you know what, just give me a Chow game. Give me, give me all the elements. <laughs> Sonic Babysitter? Yeah, give me anything out there that, like, allows me to collect because I am a collector. But you know, take the <laughs> elements that were fun in Adventure and Adventure 2 and use them. It seems like they take these things like, okay, we did the Chows. They did amazing. Let's try a whole different concept that is terrible and not use any of the things that were great about this. And it's just, it's, it's frustrating to see. You know, with Frontiers, it seems to be getting some pretty positive reviews, trying to be his first kind of quote-unquote open-world Sonic game. Taking, like, I think a spiritual successor to Sonic Adventure in a way. Yeah. But there's just so much emptiness, so much that could have been done that's just not there. There are three Sonic games that I really enjoy from the Sonic series mm -hmm. beyond, like in the 3D realm. And it's Adventure, Adventure 2, and I, I do like Sonic Heroes. Mm -hmm. But I feel like what made all those games special was Sonic Adventure's storyline and just trying to be something different is really what made it cool. Sonic Adventure 2. Seeing things from the villain perspective, I think, yep. was a really cool ad addition as well. And then Sonic Heroes, using a team of three to traverse through the levels. I mean, that was a really cool thing for that game as well. And you got some new characters put mm -hmm. in there, too. But it feels like it's, it's sort of stagnated on this, this type of innovation. Yep. And it's, it's disappointing. Sonic Frontiers... To me, it might be a great game. I don't know, but it definitely wasn't going to be a day one buy. I've seen way too many Sonic games go from the full retail price down to like bargain bin games in, in just a few weeks. And mm -hmm. almost immediately that game dropped 33%. So yes, I'm going to wait a little bit longer. It might be a game that I, I try and jump back in and, and get back into the Sonic games if I can, because you're right. I have heard more positive things about Frontiers than some of the last few games that have been released. But I just don't really have high hopes for this series anymore. Yeah, everyone's kind of... And I think it's the reality of gaming. You know, I've always said Dead Rising is honestly the heart of games, where games come from. But <laughs> truthfully, it's legendary. You story. have consistently said that. <laughs> it's, it's, you have consistently been wrong. <laughs> truthfully, it's Legend of Zelda. Every single game is based on Legend of Zelda. Whether it's the OG or looking at Breath of the Wild. You see now, because they're all everyone's like, hey, can we climb stuff and be open world? When our game wasn't originally that, our game was kind of like linear world, but now we can just follow what they did because they did it great. And so we'll see. We'll have to see what the final reviews after a couple of weeks of everyone getting it and playing it after the holidays. We'll see. But let's get back to this. Let's talk about the positiveness that adventure did leave. Because as the first fully 3D Sonic platform game, Sonic Adventure was highly anticipated. It received critical acclaim, and computer and video games, CVG, called it one of the greatest video games of all time. 
Sonic Adventure won a Blockbuster Entertainment Award in the Favorite Sega Dreamcast Game category, and was a runner-up for GameSpot's annual Best Console Platform Game Award, which went to Rayman 2, The Great Escape. The visuals and presentation attracted wide acclaim. Arcade Magazine described it as a quantum leap forward in aesthetics and visual design in video games, and Hyper estimated that they even exceeded what was possible on high-end personal computers that is pushing it. I don't know if I believe that, but well, I digress. We'll continue with the reviews. IGN, on a positive spin apparently, called it the most graphically impressive platform game released up to that date, praising its cinematic sequences and describing it as engrossing, demanding, and utterly awe-inspiring. GameSpot agreed and said only Soul Calibur's graphical quality surpassed that of Sonic Adventure. Edge felt the graphical features showed off the Dreamcast potential to the fullest, and that the game was perfect as a showcase for the system. The audio received mixed responses. GameSpot and Game Revolution called the full-motion video cutscenes and voice acting well-produced and fitting, though GameSpot noted poor lip-syncing. IGN thought the cutscenes were repetitive and voiced strong disapproval of the voice acting, declaring it, quote, a complete joke and downright awful. IGN had a particular distaste for Tails' voice and retrospectively called it among the most annoying to feature in a video game. All game was conflicted. They appreciated Tails' portrayal, but found Sonic and Knuckles' voices unfitting. GameSpot and AllGame praised the rock-style music, but Game Revolution described the score as absolutely horrible. The gameplay was generally praised. GameSpot admired the straightforward, linear approach to the 3D platform genre and particularly praised it for keeping the basic gameplay of the original Genesis games. IGN said the game would keep players busy even after completion, noting its internet connectivity and other extras. On the other hand, Game Revolution said apart from being quicker, it did not advance the platform genre's design. Retrospectively, 1001 Video Games You Must Play Before You Die called its environments vast and twisted, stating it brilliantly captured traditional Sonic elements. The Chow minigame was noted as a major departure from the gameplay of the series. GameSpot wrote that, while really just a diversion, the Chow were an interesting, fun addition, singling out their internet functions as a highlight. All games said the Chow helped increase the replay value. Although it was strange, required patience, and did not provide bonuses in the main game. Game Revolution called the Chows a neat addition and praised its use of the VMU. Now, some critics compared Sonic Adventure to Super Mario 64, Nintendo's groundbreaking 1996 game that propelled the Nintendo 64 and the 3D platform genre. Edge said Sonic Adventure was a worthy rival to Super Mario 64, but Allgame wrote that Sonic Adventure was not as ambitious and that those looking for exploration would be disappointed with its linear gameplay. They compared it to the similarly linear Crash Bandicoot, but felt Sonic Adventure was more confined. Still, they praised the gameplay as varied and said its replay value was strong. Game journalists Roussel Damaria and Johnny L. Wilson retrospectively wrote Sonic Adventure was not as strong as Super Mario 64 and, quote, failed to catch on with players in nearly the way that Mario had done. Though it had fascinating features, such as the use of the Tamagotchi-like memory card to incubate eggs for little pet creatures, and some good action segments. 
the camera system and glitches were criticized by many reviewers. IGN called the camera incredibly frustrating and inconsistent, and GameSpot noted it caused problems with collision detection. Edge complained the camera sometimes goes behind walls. Authors from Games Radar retrospectively wrote that Sonic Adventure was horrendously buggy, singling out falling through floors and getting stuck, but also said the sheer amount of content made up for this. GameSpot thought Sonic Adventure redefined the possibilities of the platform genre. And according to CVG, many things you thought were impossible to see and experience in computer games are now here. According to Next Generation, expert gamers may beat the game in only a day or two, but even then, the ride is worth the price of admission. All Game wrote that the game was an impressive showing of the Dreamcast potential and that it was among the best of the series. Edge said its criticisms such as scenery pop-up and instances of poor collision detection are minor flaws and an otherwise very fine piece of work. Arcade and CVG speculated the game could save the Dreamcast, which had not sold well by the end of 1998. CVG also thought it could reestablish Sega as the dominant console manufacturer after the relatively unsuccessful Saturn. And unfortunately, now we know where we are in the future, it did not. It did not. Yeah. They went from first party, as we said, to third party. Don't see too many second party. That would be interesting, though. Let's get Microsoft <laughs> the U. and Sony to make a game together. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. How do, how do yous do it? No, it's, it's one of those games that it's unfortunate because it was kind of winding down the Sega independency that they had, um, you know, as, as being a major player, as being a console hand, handheld, kind of, but being a console household name that would live on. I think most of us know the name Sega. Um, a lot of you have not grown up with it. You know, Nintendo bought them and Mario and Sonic are now friends and they do things together, which is great. But we still see Mario as a mainliner. Even with Nintendo kind of funneling money and efforts to it, it still can't and I don't think ever will unseat Mario. So it gave a valiant try and it was an excellent, in my opinion, excellent addition to the 3D realm at the time bringing more to it in terms of visual stability and a little bit more in terms of graphic fidelity versus Super Mario 64. But you don't see Sonic Adventures being the game that people are still paying 50 bucks for for the original version of it. Well, I guess technically they do because Dreamcast is not there. But Whoa, I feel attacked. I would absolutely spend $50 for this game, just like I did for (laughs) Mario 64. But it still has a lasting legacy that has brought up for good and for bad what the Sonic games do today, but also push 3D realms in terms of areas that a lot of people weren't ready for yet or not used to when they were making that transition from 2 to 3D at the time. Yeah, it really is just a shame because it obviously retrospectively has not been looked upon as fondly. As I Mm -hmm. said, re-releasing it a million times did not help that at all because we really were sort of seeing that silver age of gaming where it was like all these games were coming out and improving upon stuff that had been around for a really long time. I mean, that Xbox 360 PS3 era, Mm -hmm. getting all these great IPs out of Microsoft. You know, you're seeing things start to just kind of trend toward just a 
uh, a really great graphical improvement and sort of heading toward those diminishing returns in that regard. And Sonic just, you know, this game just didn't age well in that regard, and they kept trying to just hit the nostalgia button. There's just so many times that you can do that before the button runs dry. And I had a lot of fun with this game when it came out. Yeah. I do look back fondly on the game overall, but would I want to play it today? Probably not. I'm happy for the time that I spent with it. I think that it was an important stepping stone for those future Sonic games, at least the next few. But I'd love to see a return to the series that has the innovation of Sonic Adventure along with the graphical Mm -hmm. improvements that should be readily available and capable today. So I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead a little bit further just because we're at a pretty lofty time for this one. But for me, this game is probably like a 6 out of 10. What about you? Yeah, I mean, as we had said, it's it's a game that for us, we had the benefit of playing as a kid. So there's definitely the nostalgia factor that adds to it. But in a retrospective looking today, it is buggy. It is janky. Sadly, that's what's to expect from a Sonic game at this point. And one that at least innovated and had a story that was interesting to keep you going, had these really cool concepts at the time for the different characters, and allowed like changing of gameplay that wasn't just Sonic, wasn't just Tails, brought these new characters in or characters that were unused, I, I thought was, was fantastic. Um, unfortunately, we haven't seen really a, a lot of great Sonic games um, but this is one that's held. So if I had to give it a rating, I would give it probably gamma out of alpha divided by omega. Um, probably throwing some ellipses in there. Just why not? Just because you can. Um, probably out of pi. Solid review. I forgot the names of the uh, other robots. Were those. They're all pretty similar. So good for you. Plus one for remembering. (laughs) Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. My voice is disappearing (laughs) entirely. This is what happens in Sonic. This is what happens in Sonic. The voices go. This is a very sultry episode (laughs) now at this point. The intro and outro music was recorded and composed and given to us by our friend Evan Barr, and our lovely artwork was provided by Aaron Shattuck. As always, if you'd like to support us, outside of just listening to the episode, we have a Patreon, and it's patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have plenty of physical and digital rewards, as well as our bonus episodes, and be able to vote on our future episodes. And I want to thank some select members today with Sky the Bear, Duststorm, Mr. Choff, Snide T-Bird, that LL Gamer Guy, Nick Hyman, Nick Chief, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, Irby Spicy, Lee Tom John, Keller Kane, and Brian Yost. Thank you all so much for your support. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, drop by, leave us a review. It helps us out a lot, and we love to hear from you. And as always, you can check us out over on Twitch. You can see me at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. As well as Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram. You can also join our Discord. It's free to join. 
and we're hanging out in there all the time, talking games, talking deals, talking memes, talking Halo still. Yeah, absolutely. So come on by, and we'd love to see you there too. And that has been our coverage of Sonic Adventure. Have you played this when you were a kid? Have you gotten it now? Are you playing any Sonic games at all? That's the question I think everyone thinks about. Um, as always, I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Knuckles the Echidna. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. You know, Sonic did movies better than Mario.